Welcome to the Jewish Education Experience Podcast with your hosts, Yasmina and Ari, who will be uncovering gems of wisdom with Jewish educators from around the world. Our guest today is Rabbi Yaakov Wolby. Rabbi Yaakov Wolby is the Director of Outreach for Torch, a Houston, Texas-based Jewish education and community outreach organization. Rabbi Yaakov Wolby has six podcasts. They're all amazing. I would encourage you to check them out. RabbiWolby.com. If you want to reach out to Rabbi Wolby directly, RabbiWolby at gmail.com. Rabbi Wolby, we're so happy you're with us here today. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, uh, Hubbermans, for, for hosting me. All right. First question. Please tell us a bit more about yourself and how you began your journey in education. So my journey began really late because I was a really poor student in, uh, in organized uh, traditional school. Uh, I would say that uh, the modern, uh, streamlined education system is really like 150 years old, uh, kind of the modern educational format. And uh, we're still tinkering with it, but it's not something that was etched in stone at Sinai. And I feel like uh, the system that they use or that is used is probably what's best for the most amount of people. But there are outliers, perhaps we could call them uh, neuroatypicals, uh, for whom sitting in a class for hours and hours on end and hearing someone lecture it just it just doesn't work. So I actually had a very late start in education as a uh, as a uh, recipient, shall we say, of education. Um, but um, I, I guess your question is mostly about about how I got to become a purveyor of education. Uh, so I worked uh, for Torch Torah Outreach Center of Houston, and uh, like you mentioned in your truncated introduction, I do podcasts over a thousand episodes, and my philosophy is. This Torah, it's amazing, and I want to make it as user-friendly and as available uh, to the masses. So uh, that's what I've been doing now the past uh, decade or so, is teaching Torah and spreading Jewish wisdom and literacy to the masses, uh, mostly online, but of course in person as well. So that's how I got into it. And thank God you are doing that. Are there any educators that you particularly admire? Educators? That I admire. So first of all, um, my grandfather, bless memory, was a master educator. And uh, obviously he's got to be number one. Um, but I think historically, um, I'm, a, I'm a very, um, I'm an admirer of, of the great altar of Slabotka, who was the greatest pedagogue perhaps in all of human history. Maybe that's a stretch, but certainly in the last couple hundred years. Uh, where he was able to understand how people are motivated, how people are triggered, how to push buttons, how to influence people, how to how to manipulate people, even how to hypnotize people. But you know, it, it's kind of a strange thing. It's a strange thing because education is really about you know the Hebrew word for education is chenoch, which which means almost like apprenticeship. It means preparing someone for what they're going to do long term. And it's kind of uh, the problem with education is that the results that you get are not indicative of the success and or failure of your initiative, of your efforts. Because my grandfather used to always say that education starts as a parent, even a parent or a pedagogue. It starts at birth, maybe even earlier, and it ends when the child becomes 30. 
you know, we know we have standard education. No, it's uh, 12th grade. Maybe they go to college. Maybe they go to grad school. But they're definitely done learning in a formal fashion in the educational system when they're 25. My grandfather used to always say that at the age of 30, that's when you know if you've succeeded or not. Meaning that if things are going swimmingly, you still don't know if it's going to succeed. And therefore, that's the problem. Like, you could achieve optimal results for the time being, but the only way to know if it's going to succeed is to look at the results after 30 years. And after 30 years, when a kid really matures into an adult and kind of is on the trajectory, on the path that they're likely to maintain the rest of their lives, that is when you can look back and evaluate the success. And that's why it's it's so tricky, because you don't know if you're going to say something or you're going to convey something, a principle, an idea, a lesson, uh, anything that you do in your education, you have to think about the immediate consequences, but also the long-term consequences. You know, how is this going to play out long-term? If I want my kid to be obedient, there's a simple way to do it. I take off my belt and I start whipping them until they listen. And then I can pat myself on the back and say, I'm an educator. Look at the kid. Look how they're behaving. Complete obedience, whoever I say, whoever I say. But what's actually going to happen long-term is that kid's going to grow up hating me and uh, want to rebel and want to cause as much pain as possible and is going to be corrupted, essentially, because of faulty education. So that's, uh, that's why it's, uh, it's such a tricky subject that y'all are doing here with your, with your podcast and with this whole subject, because it's really hard to know what's going to work and what's going to stick. And the Aldous Bucker, the reason, the reason why I admire him is because he was able to really burrow deep into people's hearts and to know what moves them and to know how to, how to push the right buttons in a way that will allow a child to flower and flourish and allow kids, charges, if you will, pupils, to really turn into absolute superstars. I really appreciate that you mentioned that because I know that's definitely a challenge with education and how do you reach a child so that they want to continue learning, want to continue being Jewish, and we can't really just shove it down their throats. I appreciate you uh, mentioning that. Just curious how you talk about God with the various age groups that you work with, you teach with Torch, how do you go about it? Uh, so that's a great question. How do you teach about, about God? Now, there's an assumption in your question that teaching about God should be different than teaching about other things. And I don't know why that would be such. What I would say is that, you know, we're told, the Talmud tells us, the first thing we got to teach our child is two verses in the Torah, Shema Yisrael Hashem Elkin Hashem Echad, which, of course, is the Jewish Pledge of Allegiance, where we declare fealty to God, and we acknowledge his presence and his dominion and uh, omniscience and omnipotence over all. First, we teach, teach a child. And, uh, and Torah, Sibyl, and Moshe, that the Almighty gave us Torah via Moshe, and that's our heritage. We try to instill this into our children. But what I would say is that uh, if teaching about God is, is ritualized, uh, that's a problem. The way to teach about God is to make it part of our lives. You know, we train our children to talk to God. We always say to our children, hey, you know, the Almighty created you 
and the Almighty loves you, and he gave you your fingers, and your heart, and your eyes, and your brain, and he created the sky, and created everything uh, around you, everything that you know. That's the Almighty, the Almighty created that. But if it, I think if it comes into like a ritual thing, something that's relegated to shul, perhaps, something that's done like out of ritualistic or religious reasons, that doesn't really foster a, a relationship with the Almighty. We tell our children, this is what I tell my children, that Hashem can see us, but we cannot see Hashem. So I have a problem with people who say, Hashem is here, Hashem is there, Hashem is truly everywhere. I don't like that. I think it's, first of all, I'm not sure, what what does that even mean? Hashem is here, Hashem is there, Hashem is truly everywhere. I'm not sure that's actually true theologically. But uh, it's a problem because you're telling a a child Hashem is here, but they, they can't see Hashem. And we have to drill into our child that the Almighty is something that you cannot see, like the aforementioned panopticon. The Almighty sees you, but you cannot see him. That's the Gemara's definition, and that's a good enough definition for us. So we teach our children about Hashem, talk to Hashem, we dive into Hashem, we pray to Hashem, we say our blessings to Hashem, we thank Hashem. It's just part of our lives. I'll tell you another thing that I do. I tell our children, when they're little kids, tiny, tiny kids, I say, Abba loves you, Abba's daddy, and mommy loves you. And then I go through their siblings, Akiva loves you, and Shua loves you, and who else loves you? Hashem loves you. It's almost like Hashem is made part of the family. And it's just a reality that we live with. It's not something that we, that we teach. We say, okay, I'm going to tell you a secret now, as if it's, it's something that we have to prepare them for. It's just that's the natural course of things. There is the creator who we cannot see, who sees us, who knows everything that we do, is able to even know what we think about, and he loves us, and he wants to help us, wants to take care of us, and we can pray to him, we can talk to him, and he helps us. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it's pretty interesting just going back to when you defined chinuch, education, right? You said it's like preparing something for its future use, but I also have a problem with the word education because it's like it's so broad, and everyone's like always kind of being educated by like their surroundings anyways. But it sounded like from what you said that like early childhood education is key because there's certain things that are really young that will just always stay with them, like the way that you teach about Hashem like that, right? Absolutely. Yes, yes. The critical but, you- but like but you, but you do see people that let's say have like a terrible what we would call like a terrible education or like an abusive parent or teacher or something, and sometimes that's like what fuels them to be like even better. So like was that a good thing? Something I struggle with a lot, this particular question. Uh, the aforementioned uh, Alter of Slabatka, he knew which students to coddle and to be very soft with and to only be positive with and to only encourage and only show love. And there were other students of his that he would give them a cold shoulder and would be very, he would be very dismissive of them. And, and he, would, he would criticize them. And because he knew which student, like how to elicit the greatest output from a child, uh, from, from a child or from a charge. My sure. tradition for my grandfather is that today, that doesn't work anymore. Today, that doesn't work anymore. The only way we can love, that, that we could uh, properly rear a child, properly raise a child, is via love. I know that uh, someone once went through a Yashif, who was the leader of, of World Jewry, passed away in 2012, and someone said to him, hey, I'm getting a job as an educator. 
give me the give me the rules. Teach me how to do it. He said, there's only three things you need to know. And he quoted the Talmud, the book of uh, Sanhedrin, Yemin Mikareves, which means the Talmud says that with children, he's supposed to bring them close with the right hand and push them away with the left hand. Bring them close with the right hand, push them away with the left hand, meaning that your, your force of love should be more dominant over the force of, of distancing, of criticizing. She said there's three rules. You mimic you mimic With your right hand, you bring close. With the right hand, you bring close. With your right hand, you bring close. Those are the three rules. And pushing away, that's going to be for a different time. The fact that someone is pushed away and that actually propels them to become closer, I don't know how to explain that. Maybe there's still something wrong with them internally that won't surface for many years. Or maybe they're just someone who has incredible tenacity of character and, and someone who's just an incredibly built, developed person. But as educators, I don't think that that should be something which is entertained. So how do you how do we find the balance, I guess, in in doing that and, and pulling them close, but you know, pushing them away with the left hand so that we're not doing it too much? What, what does it mean too much? Too much love? Too much or is there ever too much love? Is it this is this is the tradition that I've received. My tradition that I received, my grandfather, is that it's just with love. That is the soul, that is the soul emotion that you are using to parent to parent your child. That is it. Unconditional love. That's it. And if, if there's never too much. There's never too much. Be effusive, be overwhelming in the love that you give to your child. Because that is what's going to foster a close relationship. That's why they'll want to be like you. They'll want to emulate you. They'll want to connect with God. That is the way to do it. Only with love. And there's never too much. Nice. Yeah, thank you. That's good to know. Um, yes. What do you find to be the biggest challenge that you face trying to educate You know, so many people? Me personally? Biggest challenge that I face a great question what i would say my personal challenge is is time i, I need more time and but i'm, I'm in a u- unique situation because i'm dealing with the lots of different people and uh you know everyone um wants to study with me i find them a slot everyone uh you know and i'm thank god i'm preparing lots of lectures every week and thank god i have six children uh who uh themselves uh need some love from daddy so my biggest issue is uh is is one of time but uh i don't know how helpful that is for you or for your audience uh, time time and, and brain and brain processing of the uh, you know uh, rpm uh you know the, the, that's 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 my that's my personal biggest issue just to answer your question well it seems like you're managing okay we, you know you have all these podcasts and it's just amazing what you're doing with torch and we really appreciate it thank you well, thank God we have uh, we have six children and I have six podcasts. So uh, I told my wife, if we ever have any more children, you know what has to happen, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> so how do you stay motivated? How to stay motivated? Uh, it, it this is an issue. It's an issue. I, the way I stay motivated is that this is what I want to do. This is this is the choice that I made. This is what I feel like the Almighty put me here to do. And it's something which I really love. It's one of those things that I feel like if I wasn't getting paid to do it, I would do it anyhow. Because this is this is my passion. This is what I'm good at, I think. 
And uh, thank God I'm seeing success. And the Almighty nudged me towards uh, towards this. And uh, it's it's working. Now, th- is that to say that there are never uh, bumps in the road? Uh, that is something I would definitely not say. There are definitely bumps in the road. Uh, right now, thank God, this week I released uh, another Parsha podcast, actually just a few hours ago. But I, I felt like I had to sweat blood to get this out, really. Like, I, I've been working on it the whole week. And, and I was really, it was really, 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 really hard. Uh, but uh, so, so I had to, I was facing headwinds and there were problems, but uh, thank God we, we managed to overcome with the help of the Almighty. Um, so there's, you know, no matter who you are, there are ups and downs, but uh, how do you stay motivated? If this is what you want to do, if this is what you're good at, if you feel like you're impacting people, this is your calling. If this is your calling, then uh, you know what? Uh, you deal with the challenges as they come up. You have to deal with them, of course, but it's, uh, it's something that, uh, you know, with the help of the Almighty, you could get through and uh, navigate, and hopefully the high points uh, will exceed the low points. I mean, yeah, so if we're going to ask what advice you would give to new educators, um, I mean, it seems like love right because to be passionate about what you do is kind of the same thing if you're instilling love in your students and children right then you want them to be fired up and that'll help make i guess the battle easier right uh for sure for sure Uh, obviously there's different kinds of educators and the kind of stuff i do uh it's it's online mostly uh so it's it's different it's different but i'll tell you something a, a gem you ask for gems here's a gem i heard this from one of my students uh, he said the following line he said he who does the work does the learning which i absolutely love wow, that yeah that. that if you're if you're a teacher and you're just presenting and the people are just being passive and they're just absorbing even if they're absorbing you're actually doing the learning and they are doing the absorbing and what sticks, what doesn't, I don't know. But I know as someone who has been to lectures and who has given lectures, who's been to classes and has given classes, I learn a lot more when I myself give a class than when I listen to someone else. So I think this is something that we should, um, uh, maybe this is something that needs to be, to be, maybe this is obvious, first of all, but uh, even if it's obvious, we should repeat it. It bears repeating, but I think certainly for me as a kid, when I went through the educational system, this was not the way things worked. He who does the work does the learning. If you want people to do learning, make them do work, and that will be transformative for them. He who does the work does the learning. Yeah, I think we have a new bumper sticker here. Yeah, the second one of the minute. I know my, my wife uh, my wife teaches uh, in the girls' high school here in Houston, and uh, we chat sometimes about what she teaches, and I always try to get her to do these things, you know, have the girls come up with their own questions, have them write their own answers, you know, activate the mind. Don't, the right. mind is not designed to sit back and be receptive. It's designed to be engaged and mobilized and galvanized and awakened. And that's what you should try to do as an educator. You try to there to spark that. But ultimately, the learning they do should be doing on their own. I agree. So true. Now, I'll tell you, in, in yeshiva, the yeshiva system, incidentally, designed by the altar of Slavatka, our great pedagogical hero, 
The way it's designed is that the students study by themselves. They study with a study partner. They don't sit in lectures all day. There's one lecture a day for maybe an hour, but the rest of the times they're studying on their own. And the objective is that they study and they let's say prepare a piece of Talmud or a subject from Talmud, a sugya as it's called in the Talmudic parlance. And they spend three, four hours on the sugya. And then they hear the lecture from the master. And then they review and they see where they differed from the master. And I'll tell you, I read uh, some books, uh, modern books uh, about, you know, incorporating all the, uh, all the best practices of how, to, uh, of how to teach and how to absorb and how to study. And this is exactly how they outline. They outline this process where you try something and then you try to figure out where you went wrong and you review it, so to speak, with the expert and then you do it again. And you kind of pinpoint the areas where you need to improve, break it down, so to speak, break any activity or anything you want to master, break it down to its component parts and find out the areas you need to improve with the help of the, of the master, but not just to sit back and be receptive and be passive. That doesn't work. That doesn't, that doesn't transform people. He who does the work, does the learning, do the work, and then you'll do the learning. I wonder if that'll tie in a little bit to this next question. How do you think we can help our children, our students build build a proper Torah foundation? Well, the, the children need to be engorged with Torah. You have to teach them. You have to surround them with it. You have to expose them to it. They have to live in a, in a Torah environment for Torah to penetrate them. The world around us is quite appealing. And if they sit around and watch television all day and they, they don't study and they're not exposed, then they're not going to have a a firm foundation. Uh, You know, kids are highly malleable, highly malleable. Uh, They respond to inputs. They respond to inputs. And if you raise them in a world where the things that matter the most are uh, politics or uh, television or TikTok or any of this other nonsense, then that is what they are going to value. So if you want your kids to value Torah, Make that part of their lives and make sure you give them a good education, send them to a good school, you know, a good loving school. I'm not saying that they should only speak in Yiddish and study only Torah. I'm saying that should be the priority. They should always know that that's part. I'll tell you something that I do. Whenever I pick up my kids, I take them out for lunch or whatever, take them out in the middle of the day. I always ask them the following question. I do it part, partly to actually know the answer, but partly to in, in, ingrain in their brain the following value. I asked them, okay, when does the Judaics end and when does secular studies begin? You know, because they, they study Mishnah and Talmud and Chumash. They study all of that, but they also study history and mathematics and uh, and science and English and all that. So I always say, okay, okay, when does the Judaics, when does the Torah end and when does the, you know, secular studies start? So whenever I say, okay, oh, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, that's when it ends. That's when I'll pick you up from school because I don't want you to miss the Torah. So the truth is, I don't want them to miss the Torah. But more important than that is that they know that this is a priority. This is what really matters. And yes, it's important to know English and history and mathematics and, and science. And by the way, you test my kids to see how well they know it. But they know as well that this is the highest priority. This is the highest priority. I know there was someone um, who I admire, even though I disagree with them severely about this point. There was someone who had a, a child that had a uh, who had a uh, learning disability. And they really essentially had to make a choice whether or not to send their child to a non-Jewish school to be able to learn on a, you know, um, 
with the best special ed and all that and to know how to read. And they, they made that choice and they sent them away. And I told my wife when this happened, I said, I will never, ever, ever send my child to a school that's not a Jewish school. And I don't care if they never read in their lives. I don't care about that. It's more important for them to know that this is what matters. This is who we are. And yeah, sorry for that rant. All right. Well, Rabbi Wolby, obviously you're very cutting edge with the podcast and everything else you do. Um, what does successful Jewish education in the future look like to you? <laughs> it was a great question because before the pandemic, I had this vision where people would be studying on Zoom. And <laughs> it's crazy because I was, I was trying to spell my vision. I said, what I want is a massive auditorium, massive auditorium, a thousand kids there. And everyone has their own, their, own, uh, their own computer, and they can study from pre-recorded stuff from the best rabbis, best teachers in the world. But really, they can run around and have recess half the day. That's what I, that's what I envisioned. So it wasn't a pandemic-infused, uh, wow. uh, you know. So, and it turns out kids don't like learning on Zoom um, at all, uh, much to the chagrin of, uh, of all of us, right? Kids don't like learning on Zoom. They don't like learning on Zoom. That's not what it's all about. But uh, it, the first thing, if I become the czar, the czar of education. First thing I do is I triple recess. Kids need to play a lot more than they're playing. They need to play a lot more. Their yeah. brains are being developed and they're underdeveloped and there's no reason why they're sitting for so long in a chair listening to someone talk. It's great. It's important. They need to run around a lot more. That's what I do. That, that's my, my vision of the future is no more homework and, uh, and, um, and uh, much more recess. And I'll tell you, it's not because I, I don't value the education. I, I do value it. But again, I want you to show me where are all the kids who are in love with learning because they were forced to sit down and listen to someone talk. It doesn't exist. The things that people love doing are the things that they love doing. And we're trying to wait to create an environment they love learning. That's what we want to do. Not force them to learn, but force them to develop a love or encourage them to develop, nudge them to develop a love for what they learn. The Talmud even says a person can always study what their heart desires. You cannot pigeonhole someone, force them, shove it down the throat that they should, that they should study. And I know, that, I know with me, the things that I like to study are and nothing to do with schooling. It's despite the schooling. Like uh, Mark Twain said, right? You don't want your education to interfere with your schooling or vice versa. You know, I don't want my schooling to, edu- to interfere with my education. education I feel like there's a, there is a little bit of that. Uh, hopefully, I, I, I've seen it, just my, my, own little, my own little sliver of experience, I've seen it improve. Um, thank God they've, they've done away with homework uh, um, in, a, in a lot of places, because it turns out it actually has no bearing on the child's educational academic outcomes, and it just makes them hate. Uh, hate uh, you know, if you have the kids in school for eight hours, don't force them to do more work when they get home. Sorry, that's my piece. You wanted some spicy stuff? There's my spicy hot take. <laughs> All right, well, Rabbi Wolby, this was such a special treat to have you on. Um, Thank you so much. You know, much. we just hope we... This is like an honor, an honor for me. Yeah, we just hope, you know, we get to be, uh, you know, part of that future with you uh, somehow. Um, so we're definitely going to be listening. Actually, uh, I heard there's a, a new Rabbi Yaakov Wolby podcast, so I think we have to go and listen to it now. <laughs> it was a tough one. Tough one to tell you. Tough one to get out, I'll tell you that much. And Hashem continue to... To bless you with the podcast and educating oh. others and bringing people closer to Hashem. Oh, amen. Thank amen. you so much. And you too. It's, I'm very excited to the Jewish Education Experience podcast, and I hope you overtake me, catapult me in the rankings. <laughs>
All right, everybody. Well, we take care. Talk to you. Take care. Have a great job. Bye.